We're on Yavamos Tesvav Amar Aleph 15A3 in the Art Scroll Gemara. We just discussed two cases of uh, disputes between Beishama and Beishilal, not dispute, not the same dispute as our Mishnah, but with regards to other areas of halacha, other areas of law. One of the examples was when do we determine the new year for the trees? Is it on Tubishvat, which is the opinion that we follow, which is Beishilal? which is what we celebrate on Tu B'Shvat, or B'Shamay argues and says that it is on the first of Shvat. What happens if a person, the story was Rabbi Kiva, he picked fruit between the first and the fifteenth of Shvat. And the second case that we discussed was a dispute between B'Shamay and B'Shalal in the Sukkah. When is a child obligated for Chinuch, for, to educate him, to be in the Sukkah? And that's also a dispute between Beishamai and Beishelah. Beishamai says even when he still needs his mother, he is still obligated to be in the sukkah. And Beishelah argues and says that when he no longer needs his mother during the night, when he's able to sleep on his own uh, without needing his mother in the middle of the night. Those were the two cases. We're now going to discuss two more cases which are not Yevamos cases in which there's a machlokas, there's a dispute between Beishamai and Beishelah, and we're going to try to prove, can we, can we prove from these two cases whether or not Beishamai, in the end of the day, agrees to Beishelah, or does he practically, even practically, does he also disagree? Okay, so let's go to case number three, which is not a Yibam, which is not a Yivamos case. Masiv Marzutra. Marzutra has the following brisa. Now, this Bryce is going to discuss uh, a case of mikvahs. We're discussing a mikvah and what uh, what would halakhically work as a mikvah and what would not halakhically work as a mikvah. We discussed this a little bit when we did Mesechas Chagiga. Um, the requirement for a mikvah is that it has to be at least 40 saw. It requires a minimal amount of water of 40 saw. Uh, and our discussion, the Bryce is going to be discussing what happens if you have the following case where there's one mikvah which has that minimal requirement of 40 sa'ah, and one body of water does not have 40 sa'ah, and one body of water does have that minimal amount of 40 sa'ah. And so we're discussing two different bodies of water, and they're connected. They're connected through a hole. There's a hole that's connecting them. And if there's a hole that's connecting them and water is going through that hole to connect them, so then it could turn into one mikvah. It could turn into one mikvah and then the body of water, which has less than 40 saw, less than the minimal amount, is connected and it's like one mikvah. And then you could use that other, that body of water, which has less than the minimal amount, you could still use it. It's a kosher, it's a halakhically valid mikvah to purify uh, the things that became impure, uh, whether it's uh, kalim vessels, or for a person to go into that mikvah, assuming that it's uh, it's enough water for him for his entire body to go into the water, uh, if it is viewed as one mikvah, then it does have the minimal amount of water. Uh, the question is, how big does that hole have to be? Again, it's a hole which is connecting two different bodies of water. One body of water has enough. Uh, water for it to be viewed as a halakhically valid mikvah. The other water body, body of water does not. 
And so as long as you have this, such a hole connecting them and water is going through, so then it turns into one body of water such that uh, both bodies of water are valid for, uh, to be used as a mikvah. So Beishamai is more stringent. Beishamai says uh, that the majority of the bodies of water have to be opened. It has to be a hole, a gap in between for you to then use for them, for it to then be viewed as one body of water. Beis Hillel argues, and he's a lot more lenient, and he says that no, it just essentially has to be the uh, the area of of two fingers. If you're able to put two fingers and rotate it around that hole, so then that is enough. So that is a, a pretty uh, significant machlokas dispute um, about what would constitute a a mikvah. If it, uh, or to connect two, two bodies of water together. So that's, that's the background, and let's see the case. The Bryce says as follows, There was a incident in Yerushalayim with Yehu's trough. Now this first body of water did not have the minimal amount of water necessary, but there was a hole to another mikvah, which was a halakhically valid mikvah. And all the Tara foods in Yerushalayim were prepared with that with that trough, with that one that was not 40 sa'a. It was not, it was less than, than the minimal amount. And what did they do? Beishamai went and he widened it because it was too small of a hole. And so he thought it had to be a bigger hole, Beishamai. And so he widened the hole because Beishamai is of the opinion that it has to be Beishamai Omerim. It's not valid until the majority is open. It has to be have an opening of a majority. Utnan, however, we learned in a Mishnah that the opinion, Beisillel, the Mishnah doesn't say it's Beisillel, but uh, it seems to be that it's Beisillel, who says, The amount that you need is uh, the the hole that you need has to be two fingers, the area has to be two fingers worth, where you can rotate two fingers, which is a lot less than the majority. So the Gemara says, Shmami na asu. So the story was, Beishamai went ahead and thought that it was too small of a hole, and he widened the hole. That seems to imply that in that case, Beishamai followed their opinion even practically. Because practically, they they thought it was too small of a hole, because that would only fit according to Beis Hillel, they argued and said that it has to be a bigger hole, it has to be a hole of a gap of the majority of the area of the body of water, and so they widened the hole, uh, so they seem to practically follow their own opinion. So over there too, the Gemara rejects the proof. The Gemara says, no, it's not a good proof that Beis Shammai follows their own opinion. Hasam, now turning to Tezvav and Beis, 15b1, no, they'll say the reason why Beishamai did this, Beishamai was allowed to do this because they'll say the reason why he did this was just because he, he thought that more water had to go through. It wasn't for halachic concerns. It was because he felt that more water had, should be going through from one body of water to the other to increase the amount of water in the trough. And that's why he did it. He felt that there should be more water in the trough, but it wasn't for halachic concerns. But it was just to, to increase the amount of water. And so therefore it's not a problem in such a scenario where they don't view it as a halachic rationale, but it was really just a very practical reason. Okay, that is case number three, which is not a Yavamu's case, where there's a dispute between 
Beishamah Betelah. Case number four. The last case of uh, of these cases, which are not Yavamos cases. Tashma. We have the following Brisa. And just an introduction to the Brisa is that it's, it's discussing laws of purity and impurity. And there is a rule that uh, produce cannot become impure until a very specific type of liquid uh, uh, touches it after it's detached from the ground. So it has to be after it's detached from the ground, it has to be, it has to uh, get wet by specific types of liquids. I'll just list the liquids now. It has to be one out of any the following seven types of liquids. Dew, water, wine, olive oil, which is important for us, the olive oil, uh, blood, milk, or bee honey. If any of these seven liquids uh, touch the produce after it's cut from the ground, uh, so then it becomes susceptible to impurity. It doesn't become impure. It becomes susceptible to impurity. And then if somebody else who's impure or if an object which is impure comes in contact with it, so then it does become impure. But before it touches uh, this, if it does, if it didn't touch a liquid, if it didn't become wet through any of these seven liquids, and somebody who's impure t- comes in contact with it, it does not become impure. It first has to uh, come in contact with this liquid to become susceptible to impurity, and then somebody who, or an object which is impure, has to come in contact with it for it to become impure. One other note is that uh, not only does this specific one of these seven types of liquids have to touch it after it's detached but it has to touch it in a way where it's beneficial to it that it's clear that whoever owns this produce wants this liquid to touch it so it has to be what we call nikhale has to be desirable uh, for this liquid to touch it so those are two two laws uh, that are necessary as an introduction for this brisa. So the, the Brisa says as follows. The Amar of Belazar Bartzadik. Belazar Bartzadik said, following story, He was learning, studying Torah with Rabbi Yochanan HaKorani. It was a time of famine and he was eating dry bread and salt. That's the only thing he ate. He noticed that while he was studying Torah with him, he was eating very little, just dry bread with salt. So, Rabbi Lazar Bar-Tzadok, he goes home. Basi Bodasi says, Abba, I went and I told my father that Rabbi Yochanan had very little to eat. So, Amar Li, so my father said to me, Go, give him some olives. Give him something else to eat so that he has more to eat. And I went and I brought him this jug of olives. Rose on chain lachen. However, Rabbi Yochanan saw that they were wet. They were wet and he thought and he was afraid that if they were wet, that means they became susceptible to impurity and maybe somebody who didn't know the laws of impurity touched it. So he had this stringency, this stringency to say, you know what, I'm not going to eat it. So how did he respond? Rabbi Yochanan said to him, Amar lo, Amar li, ain ani ochel zesim. He said to me, I don't eat olives. Just so, just parenthetically, before we continue on in the b'risa, his response was not, you know, uh, this is not kosher for me. This is impure for me. I can't eat it. That's not how he responded. He essentially uh, said something which is not fully true. And he said, I don't eat olives. He says, I don't eat olives, even though for him it was really because it was impure. And he held that he, he had an extra stringency to not eat something which was impure. Um, and so we, we see from here that if, uh, if, if one person is talking to another and they have a higher... 
level of halacha, or they feel that something is not kosher, or whatever the case is, because of halacha, so then they shouldn't say the reason why I reject whatever it is that you're offering me, or whatever the case is, they shouldn't say that it's because of halacha. We see from here that they're allowed to lie, and they can say, you know what, I don't want to eat it, I'm not interested in eating it, I don't like it. It's better that they do that than embarrass the other and say, you know what, I have higher halachic standards and it's not kosher for me. Uh, that's not how they should respond, but they should respond by, uh, by bending the truth and saying, you know what, I don't, I don't really like it. So it's, that seems to be what, be what comes out of uh, this Gemara. But uh, the Brisa continues. So anyways, again in the story, he brought him a jug of olives and he said that I don't want it. Um, because he really thought that it was it was susceptible to impurity, and perhaps somebody impure came in contact with it. So Basibodatis Abba, so the student, Rebelazar Batsadok, so he went back to his father and he told him what happened that Amarli Lit and Morlo Chavis the Kuba Haisa Elashisamuha Shamarim. So my father said to him, Go back to him and let him know that you know you had nothing to be worried about. Because what was the case? The case was where even though it became wet. But it was really undesirable. How do I know that it was undesirable? Because we really made holes in the bottom of the uh, of the jug. So that basically, what, how did it become wet? It became wet through, not through olive oil really, but just the sap of the, uh, it became uh, wet through the sap of the olives. And so the sap of the olives is what made them wet. It was, it was packed into a jug and so there was some of the sap of the olives uh, made some of the olives wet, but you should let him know that we we made a holes on the bottom of the jug so that the sap would go through because it's really we don't really want it there, and so that it would go through. It just it happened to be that it remained wet because some of the sediment from the olives plugged those holes, but really we put in holes there to begin with. So essentially, we have this whole story, this back and forth between Rabbi Yochanan and Rabbi Lazar Batzadok, but essentially Rabbi Lazar Batzadok he brought him this jug of uh, olives, and Rabbi Yochanan said that he didn't want it, uh, really because he thought that it was susceptible to impurity because it was wet. But the father really said, you know what, it's not really really wet uh, and susceptible to impurity, to Tumah, because uh, we didn't really want it. And the proof that we didn't want it is that we made holes on the bottom. It just happened to be that the sediment blocked the holes. But we really made holes on the bottom to show that we didn't want it. Now, that's what the Brisa says, and that's the end of the Brisa. What we need to know, which the Gemara is about to explain in terms of a machlokas, a dispute between Beishamai and Beishelel, is that Beishamai is of the opinion that even if you didn't block holes, sap, olive, olive sap is not the same thing as olive oil. We mentioned in, uh, in the introduction that it has to be one of seven liquids which touch the produce. Now, now, the, the, what touched it was the sap of the olives. It was not olive oil. So Beishamah is of the opinion that if it was just the sap, that's not one of the seven. It doesn't constitute as olive oil. And so therefore, it does not become impure at all. Even if you desire it, it does not become impure at all because it's just the sap. Beis Hillel argues, and Beis Hillel says, no, it does become susceptible to impurity. It's, it's under olive oil, even though it's not exactly olive oil, but it would constitute halakhically as olive oil, the sap of the olives. And so therefore, it could become susceptible to impurity. So according to Beis Hillel, what do you have to do? You have to show that you don't want it. The way you show you don't want it is by making holes. So it seems to me that uh, Rabbi Lazar Bartzadok, he was following the opinion of Beis Hillel because he made these, the father made these holes. 
So he was stringent like Beisela. Beishamai was lenient and says, you know what? You don't have to do anything because the sap does not. It's not. It's not one of the seven liquids which, which uh, makes the the produce susceptible to impurity. But let's uh, let's see this inside. The Gemara is about to say this. It's none. The Mishnah says, What happens if you have a jug filled with soft olives? Our case exactly. You don't have to make any holes because it doesn't can't become susceptible to impurity anyways because it's just the sap. It's not the olive oil. It's not halakhically viewed as olive oil. No, it is. And therefore, if you have to make a hole, you have to perforate the jug. Everyone agrees that if you made the hole, but it happened to be that it got blocked by the sediment, so then it's not a problem because you already, you already showed that you don't want it. And everyone agrees that if you show that you don't want it, so then you don't want that liquid to touch the olive, so then it's not a, it doesn't become susceptible to impurity. But the Bryson concludes, and this is what's key for our discussion. The Bryson concludes, And really, Rav Tzadok, the father, he was a student of Shammai. So he should not have done this. But the Bryson concludes, but he did this anyways, because because he was a student of Shammai, but he he followed the opinion of Beisilel. It tells us that Rav Tzadok was unique and that he followed the opinion of Beis Hillel, even though, seemingly, even though most students of Shammai do not follow the opinion of Beis Hillel, he, the Bryce is telling us that there's an exception here, that he, Ruth Tzadok, he followed the position of Beis Hillel, which is why he said that you should perforate the jug. So the Gemara says from this, and it says, If we say that in general, the, the people that follow Beis Shammai maintain their own position, so I understand why the Bryce says, oh, but Rav Tzadok is an exception to the rule. He followed Beis Hillel, even though all the other students of Shammai and all the other followers of Shammai follow Shammai. He's an exception, and he followed Beis Hillel, which is why he said that you had to make a hole in the jug. But Eliyamus Loasu, my Rebuse. But if you say that, no, that everybody from Beis Shammai, practically, they all follow Beis Hillel, then there's no need for the Bryce to tell us uh, that Rav Tzadok, who was a student of Shammai, followed Beis Hillel. It's obvious. If everybody followed Beis Hillel, if all the students of Shammai practically followed Beis Hillel, there's no need for the Bryce to tell us, oh, Rav Tzadok, who's a student of Shammai, he followed Beis Hillel. Everyone does it. So there's no need for the Bryce to tell us that. So it must be, says the Gemara, that really the students of Shammai, those that follow Shammai, maintained practically, they followed their own position. Happens to be that Rav Tzadok was an exception to the rule. Rav Tzadok is somebody who was a student of Shammai and still practically followed Beis Hillel. However, this seems to be a proof to say that uh, be, the, those that followed Beis Shammai, really everybody else that followed Beis Shammai, practically maintained their own position and they followed their own position um, uh, and uh, and practically, which would which would uh, answer the question. At least this would be a brayso which would answer the question: Did Beis Shammai practically follow their own position or not? that it seems to be that they did practically uh, follow their own uh, position. Okay, we're, we'll stop here, and the Gemara now is going to go back uh, to try to, again, to try to prove from a different price of whether or not we follow, whether Beishamai follows their own position practically or not, but it's going to go back to our Yevamos discussion of the co-wife of the relative.